Blessed Stanley Rother once said, Pray for us that we may be a sign of the love of Christ, that our presence among them will fortify them to endure these sufferings in preparation for the coming of the kingdom. Welcome to the 49th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because we need to remember that we help those suffering around us simply by giving them our presence. Just being willing to walk alongside someone can change everything. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, I know this may seem odd, but I'd like to talk about Kim Kardashian. Recently, she posted something related to Kanye West's mental health experience, and I really wanted to highlight it because she gets so much right about mental health and about the stigma permeating our culture. Here's part of what she said, quote, People who are unaware or far removed from this experience can be judgmental and not understand that the individual themselves have to engage in the process of getting help, no matter how hard the family and friends try. Living with bipolar disorder does not diminish or invalidate his dreams and his creative ideas, no matter how unobtainable they may feel to some. That is part of his genius, and as we have all witnessed, many of his big dreams have come true. I never uh, would have believed I'd be, I'd be saying this, but Kim Kardashian is out here doing more for fighting mental health stigma than the rest of us, and it's just such a great thing. She balanced the importance of self-determination and treatment for mental illness with the fact that it's a struggle for loved ones when a family member with mental illness chooses not to get help. And she did all of that while pointing out that the creativity Kanye possesses, even when he's symptomatic, is not invalidated by his diagnosis. In fact, she called it part of his genius. I couldn't have said it better, and I doubt very many others could have either. It's so touching, so important, and so loving. And I just wish we could see more of this in popular culture. And one more really important piece. After she posted this on Twitter, it went up on Instagram as well, Kanye tweeted that he was frustrated that she would say all of this without his permission. Not in so many words, but I'm kind of paraphrasing. And instead of publicly replying, she took the tweets down. And this just adds to her impressing the heck out of me. What she said, it was perfect. It was balanced, loving, and smart. And she respected his request to not have it posted and took it down. I mean, let's give Kim the props and pray for Kanye and their whole family. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, and sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. On to the next topic, there was a recent news story that was pretty widely shared about a Yale study pushing the importance of teaching students how to breathe as a way of helping them improve their mental health. 
The study kicks off with this. When college students learn specific techniques for managing stress and anxiety, their well-being improves across a range of measures and leads to better mental health. The study went on to point out from 2009 to 2014, students seeking treatment from campus counseling centers rose by 30% through enrollment, increased by just 6%, or though enrollment increased by just 6% on average. 57% of counseling center directors indicated that their resources are insufficient to meet student needs. The researchers say resiliency training tools can address the overburdening of campus counseling centers directly. In the sessions, students learn tools they can use for the rest of their lives to continue to improve and maintain their mental health. I'm so encouraged to see this coming out and getting the rounds on social media. It's not hard to teach students these skills. They're simple, and yet they have a huge payoff throughout their lives. So I hope that this helps push the conversation forward when it comes to funding and implementing uh, mental and emotional health programs in schools. We should be starting off in elementary school and continuing straight through college. Imagine the difference we could see if every child in school had access to simple and effective emotional wellness techniques and the knowledge that reaching out for therapy shows strength and isn't a weakness. One can only hope. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to share a bit about St. Vincent de Paul. In 1581, in France to peasant farmers, Vincent had a rocky life that included attending a university that was embroiled in literal armed battles and murder, being kidnapped by Barbary pirates, getting sold off as a slave, and experiencing two years in captivity. In spite of all that, Vincent connected with the Daughters of Charity about ten years later and began working with poor families. Thus began his long history of charity and love of the poor, a memory of this incredible saint that lasts down to the present time via the saint Uh, Society of St. Vincent de Paul, and all the wonderful work they continue to do in his name. And he was irritable. Omar F.A. Gutierrez wrote of St. Vincent de Paul in 2011, quote, What did they say about him? Well, they said he was, by nature, of a bilious temperament and very subject to anger. When someone throws out a word like bilious to describe you, um, you've got issues. But there was a key to Vincent's success, and it's a key that all of us can consider as we battle our own irritability. It comes to us from Franciscan media. Most remarkably, Vincent was, by temperament, a very irascible person. Even his friends admitted it. He said that except for the grace of God, he would have been hard and repulsive, rough and cross. But he became a tender and affectionate man. And very sensitive to the needs of others. God will always provide us a way out, as St. Paul tells us. And this is what St. Vincent de Paul means uh, when he says, without the grace of God, he would have been a hard and repulsive, rough and cross man. And the exact same goes for us. The grace of God pours into our hearts, even without us realizing it, and pulls us toward working on our depression, working on our irritability. When we feel a tug toward trying a new coping skill to help us through our trials and mental health experiences, that's God's love and mercy right Right there. He's always there, pushing us along in ways we fail to recognize, bringing people into our lives to walk alongside us at exactly the right moment. And all we have to do is grasp the opportunity like St. Vincent de Paul. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. St. Vincent, patron of all charitable associations and father of those who are in misery, 
come to our assistance. Obtain from our Lord help for the poor, relief for the infirm, consolation for the afflicted, protection for the abandoned, a spirit of generosity for the rich, grace of conversion for sinners, zeal for priests, peace for the church, tranquility and order for all nations, and salvation for them all. May we be united in the life to come by your intercession and experience joy, gladness, and everlasting happiness. Amen. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Monica gets us started. What are your thoughts about orthorexia? Do you think it should be considered a subset of OCD scrupulosity or a distinct eating disorder? Thank you so much for sending this one in, Monica. And let's all start by praying for everyone living with an eating disorder, everyone coping with scrupulosity, and everyone working through OCD. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. As usual, we'll start with definitions to get everyone on the same page. Orthorexia is an eating disorder that involves an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. Unlike other eating disorders, orthorexia mostly revolves around food quality, not quantity. Unlike uh, with anorexia or bulimia, people with orthorexia are rarely focused on losing weight. Thank you, Healthline.com. First off, two things. I think it's important to remember that when we're looking at our mental health, we should focus on our symptoms and not worry about specific categorizations or diagnoses. But also, since we're Catholics, we've got to embrace the both and. It does help us to get a diagnosis and feel a connection with others who have shared our experience, or at the very least, to read about what we've experienced, because this can give us a lot of relief. To your question, I see orthorexia as more related to OCD than anything else. There's a thought that uh, most people would think was healthy, right? Thinking about ways to eat healthy, eat clean, etc., all without being overly worried about one's weight. But then slowly this becomes an obsession to the point of interfering with our functioning in life. Only thinking about clean eating, sacrificing things in our life like relaxation or playing with our kids or hanging out with our partner because we're so focused on this idea and even becoming concerned that something bad might happen if, if uh, to us or to others if we, if we don't make sure that our food is healthy, organic, non-GMO, etc., so with that in mind, it seems like the best treatment here would be exposure and response prevention, which would be really hard and really scary, but also really effective. In short, it would involve slowly but surely moving through increasingly anxiety-provoking experiences. Like, like first you think about eating unclean foods um, and prevent yourself from doing anything to calm the anxiety. Next, you might eat one food that borders on being unhealthy or unclean and not do anything to calm the anxiety. And on forward until you're doing things that you initially listed as extremely anxiety provoking and sort of riding the wave of anxiety until our brain is eventually rewired to know that nothing bad will happen if we eat these kinds of foods. Um, so again, it's, it's this obsession that starts out as something healthy that nobody would say was a bad thing. In fact, people would praise you for looking up things and learning things about how to eat clean foods and healthy foods, right? But it starts to slowly take over our lives, our minds, and everything we do, and that's when it kind of becomes a problem. 
Jewel is up next. I was recently diagnosed with OCD with harm themes. I have been feeling better for about a week now. My OCD has made me feel like the only option now is to become a nun, since it's hard to believe anyone would ever trust me to be with them or start a family with them. However, I realize that's not a good reason to become a nun. If God is calling me to married life, is OCD something I should even mention? When would I bring it up? Should I be specific that it is harm OCD? I don't want to keep it a secret because I feel like that would pain me more. However, I also know that this can be terrifying for someone who hasn't experienced it. Let's all join in prayer for Jewel, for peace, for guidance, and for good mental and emotional health. I know we prayed a memorare for Kanye, but let's pray one for Jewel too, because it's a powerful prayer. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. First things first, and since you've been diagnosed, I'm guessing you already know this, but for everyone else out there, OCD is a mental illness that you can find relief from if you reach out for treatment. There are well-studied treatments for OCD, kind of like I previously mentioned in the last question, both therapy and medication that have helped so many people, and it can help you too. Most people don't realize what OCD is. We usually talk about it in terms of being clean and orderly, and perhaps we've heard about people who wash their hands a lot. So your experience of harm OCD is hard to live with not only because of the symptoms, but because other people misunderstand the experience and you're left feeling like you can't really share it with anyone. For those who don't know, OCD is actually an experience where we have an intrusive thought and then perform a compulsion to help reduce the anxiety that comes up because of that intrusive thought. It It can be associated with cleanliness, like I touched a doorknob and now I have to wash my hands because I think I might have caught a disease, but it can also come with totally different intrusive thoughts. Harm OCD, like you mentioned, is usually an intrusive thought about hurting ourselves or someone else. For example, you could be in the kitchen and see a knife uh, and, and a thought might pop into your head that you want to grab that knife and attack someone else in the room. And then terrified by the thought, you engage in a compulsion, perhaps saying a prayer to help get rid of the thought. And this compulsion, whatever it may be for the individual, provides temporary relief from the anxiety caused by the intrusive thought, which A, gives power to the thought, like maybe it's true and right because I have to do something to help myself feel better, and B, reinforces the compulsive behavior because it gives us relief and that relief feels good, and so on and on we go. OCD intrusive thoughts can be related to harm, like previously noted, or can be associated with sexuality, like pedophilia thoughts or sexual orientation thoughts. Um, Hit and run OCD related to constantly thinking you've run someone over when you're driving. Scrupulosity, a fear that we've committed a sin, and many, many others. It's important to know that the intrusive thoughts do not define who you are. They don't mean that you have the ability to hurt someone like your thoughts tell you, and they don't make you a bad person. Specifically to your question, I think it's important to share about your experience once you know you can trust the person you're in a relationship with, and when you realize it's someone you think you might have a future with. A person you're going on a date with does not need to know about your experience, but as you move through a relationship and start sharing more personal things about yourself, it's definitely something you'll want to share. One thing I suggest, uh, again, once you know you can trust this person, is to look up this show. It's called Pure P-U-R-E, and you can Google uh, Pure OCD TV show, 
and it's a it's a British TV show that's based on an actual experience of someone living with OCD and uh, I think it helps to give context to what you're going through and can really help to ease the conversation once someone you care about sees it on screen you know remember people experiencing OCD find loving and caring relationships you are capable of being loved and you deserve every good thing God has waiting for you Demarius brings us home. I have seen no literature about persons being psychologically abused by mental health providers. How do you heal from that kind of wound when you know those persons who abused you in the name of mental health are still working with patients with no consequences of their committed abuse? Thank you, Demarius, for sending this in. And let's all stop and pray for anyone who has experienced abuse in the context of getting help and for justice to be served to those who commit such heinous acts. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Abuse by helping professionals is one of the most heinous acts I can think of. Individuals are reaching out for help, allowing themselves to become vulnerable and trusting in the therapeutic process, only to be taken advantage of and manipulated by some predator in sheep's clothing. It should never, never happen. It's also especially egregious because the, <laughs> the mode for overcoming this kind of trauma involves connecting with another individual who stands in the same role as a previous abuser, making it all the more difficult to find healing. Helping professionals who do something like this have no place being in the room with another person seeking help ever again. And while it can be difficult for a victim to make a complaint, I would hope that a family member or a friend would be willing to assist in taking action. It can be as simple as figuring Figuring out what licensing board this individual is associated with and going to the website of that board to file a complaint. They make it really easy. It's worth pointing out here that complaints that are found out to be true can lead to a therapist losing their license and in fact going into a nationwide database that would keep them from being able to skip over to a different state and start doing the same thing again. It's hard, but, but when we've been hurt like this, knowing that we might prevent another person from being placed in the same abusive situation really does go a long way toward the healing process. Let's keep praying for everyone who faces abuse in any manner. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on and support their cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.